You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. to the World Football Programme on 107.9 FM Radio Fremantle. A lovely sunny summer's day. Not too hot, not too cold. Just air-conditioned right in this office. <laughs> <laughs> You've got myself, Penny, Pete and Mo Atticus in the studio today. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for listening in. Another two hours of football until noon today. As always, every Saturday, right up until somewhere around Christmas time, depending on what football activities are happening as to when we'll finish for the year. Thank you to our partners, Gate and Fence Hardware WA, Futsal WA, Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron and all of you regular contributors on our World Football Facebook page. We appreciate all of that. We're going to have two hours of wonderful football banter today, including Tommy Dolman from Football West, our match reporter that you'll see around the grounds in the NPL State League and NPL Night Series games. Neil Bennett's going to have a chat to us. Actually, Neil's going to be talking at 11.30 today. Derek Pollock is going to be chatting EPL at 10.30. Dave Templeman is going to have a chat to us about facilities, Women's World Cup and so forth. Dave is the WA Sports Minister. And yes, that's her name, Templeman, <laughs> is one you'll recognise from other Templemans associated with our show, such as Nick Templeman, who is our webman and... Miranda Templeman, who is making her way up the Matildas ranks and will one day hopefully be in the full Matilda squad and we can brag about that. And rightly so, right, Pete? I was going to say, hopefully, for Glory Keeper. Well... I, I still feel dirty sort of cheering on Melbourne victory at times. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about the week in news. Let's start with Mo. Mo, welcome to the show. How's the week been for you? What's stand out in football? It's been a great week so far, so um, yeah, it's been a good week of football. Uh, obviously, we've been doing pre-season with training. Um, yeah, it's been good. 
It's great to be here. Mo joins us from the Perth Glory Academy. Is that how you say it? Yep. It's the Perth Glory Academy system, which is quite extensive. Yeah. There's absolutely. lots of different levels and hopefully lots of young kids coming in that will one day play for glory. That's the plan, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, that's the plan. And obviously there's a lot of kids coming through. So hopefully one day we see more of them playing A-League and Socceroos. Absolutely. Hmm. Yep. What about you for the week, Pete? What's oh, top of the table? Probably been following the uh, the Joeys in the tournament in Turkey. Um, so they had a loss at the end, but finished with uh, one win, one draw, one loss, which is pleasing. That's the Australian men under men's under twenty. Uh, sorry, under seventeens. Uh, and pleasing to see that there's four four local lads, four yep. players from Perth Glory Juniors, and yep. Four, so. four, four of the boys from, from the academy. Yeah. And they all came through, obviously, from under-12s up. So it's it's good to see them get the chance. Yeah, great. Mo, you're very quietly spoken. Would you like to move a little bit closer to the microphone? That's <laughs> the way we'd like to hear what you've got to say. Are you going to say that um, you've coached some of those young lads along the way? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, Corey Sutherland came, was with us from under-12s. One of the players that uh, yeah had in under thirteens a couple of years back, so yeah it's good to see them go all the way through, and uh, obviously representing the country, so it's great. Yep, must give you a great deal of pride mm. if you're in that system and watching the young players come through and having uh, an influence on them, and then they stay in the system until they become ready. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you meet them at very young age and. You, you work with them and then you get to know them so well, get to know their families. And then when you see, you know, all the hard work they put in and obviously the time, the effort, the sacrifices they make, um, when they get up there, it's great to see because, you, you, you know, it, it's happy, I'm happy for, for them and their families because they, they sacrifice a lot. A lot of people don't see the hard work they put in, but it's, it's a lot of work. Mm. So it's great to see them get some rewards back. Uh, a lot of sacrifice for the entire family, of course, mm. because when uh, they're kids, absolutely. it's their parents taking them into all those places. 100%. And yeah. putting in all the money and the resources required to help them reach their dream. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's like, a you know, the whole, everyone everyone in the family puts in to, to make sure that they, they, they get there. Uh, and when they get there, it's great to, to sit back and just watch them do what they love. I noticed when the Matildas playing this week and Claire Polkinghorne reached her milestone there and the Matildas won 4-0, by <laughs> the way. So it's, they've cracked up a, a few wins without conceding goals, which is actually really important to score goals and not concede goals when we play some of the better teams. Especially leading into the World Cup. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so a comment was made about uh, Pokes, uh, Claire Polkinghorne and her family, how they travel to all the games that she plays in wherever they are, which is amazing. So there's great support from the family. They've recognised the, the path that she's had to travel to play in the Matildas, which is all over the world, of course, um, being an international player. And um, their family have travelled everywhere. So I think that's pretty amazing. With with the Matildas, um, they had a 4-0 win over Czech Republic, or Czechia, I believe they're called now. Uh, is that the only game they've played recently? I see they've got a yeah. couple of upcoming ones. So, so there's been one yeah. game so far this year, and then Spain tomorrow and Jamaica a couple of days after that in the tournamenty thing they've organised, a cup of nations that they've organised. Yep, and Spain beat Jamaica 3-0. I watched that game yep. the other night. Uh, I think Australia are looking pretty good. I'm 
really looking forward to the game against Spain. Um, Spain sounds like that'll be the um, the tournament decider, really. Yeah, absolutely. I reckon. Yeah, Spain have got some great players. Uh, one or two have been nominated in the Football Best Awards. Can't think of their names off the top of my head, but uh, in the last few years, Spain has really done some great things and um, worked their way up to <clears throat> better rankings on the FIFA table. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to the Women's World Cup when that comes up. Um, I did mention about the FIFA Best Awards. I'm not quite sure when that gets um, like put out on the public platform, but the FIFA Best uh, Players, Coaches, Goalkeepers, World Eleven, Pushkas Goalkeeper. I'm not sure what other awards <coughs> are happening with that, but uh, they're being voted upon mm-hmm. as we speak and lots of nominations. And Sam Kerr, I think, is the only Australian in any of those awards. Correct me if I'm wrong, anyone. <laughs> but... Uh, Yep, we talked about the Joeys, and oh, we do have to mention, of course, Football West Night Series is happening. Men's, women's, NPL, State League, everything, and registrations are open. So if you want to play football, go to Football West website and have a look at the links there. I don't know what the registration link is, but I'm sure there'll be a link somewhere on the Football West website. And before we go to break, I will mention that the Football Hall of Fame Museum launched in the last week, yep. very successfully at the West Australian Italian Club. Um, lots of dignitaries there, lots of um, inductees to the Football Hall of Fame there, and uh, it'll be open to the public at some point soon. I was about to say, when when's it actually open? Like, if, you know, Joe Public wants to go and check it out, do they have to go when, you know, there's a game on, or...? Or is it just open, like you could turn up on a Tuesday afternoon and have a look around? Or So the WA Italian Club is not um, Perth Soccer Club Dorian Gardens. Okay. It's a separate club uh, at the back side of Dorian Gardens on Fitzgerald Street entry. So it is separate. One day it might be the same because I did hear on the museum night they're actually planning to uh, do some kind of massive reconstruction of the whole area and make it into one massive soccer space, mm-hmm. which would be very exciting. But I'm not sure exactly when the museum will be open to the public, but we'll let everybody know soon. Okay. Uh, we being yeah, part of the Football Hall <laughs> of Fame person here, it's one of my <laughs> other six hats that I'm holding, as well as this one here. We are going to go break, everybody, and come back and chat more football, of course. This is Penn, Mo, and Pete on the World Football Program. Keep listening in. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron is a fourth-generation family business. Ring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware, components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. Hey, 
Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. Welcome back to the World Football Program, 107.9 FM. If you miss any part of the show, we do have a podcast on the World Football Program website that has been put up there by Nick Templeman. Yes, dad of Miranda Templeman. And yes, it has an M-M-E in the name because that's the English way to spell program. (laughs) (laughs) None of this American stuff. Tommy, good morning. How are you? Morning, Paddy. Morning, everyone. Holy cow, you are coming across <laughs> with a lot of energy there, Tom. <laughs> Good lad. Have you been uh, at all the uh, Night Series games commentating? I must admit, until the Women's Night Series start, I'm a little bit scarce on the football scene. Um, so I've been, uh, yeah, I've been heading down to the, the Men's Night Series, doing a little bit of um, stuff with um, your sister station, actually, Sport FM, um, on the weekends on the radio, so... Um, didn't get down last night to um, E&V Leader Stadium for the round of games that was on last night, but I'm, uh, I'll be down at Inglewood for Sunday's matches. But, yeah, it's been a um, super competitive night series so far. We've had some uh, some nice surprises and um, definitely in terms of the, the teams who are sort of pushing at the top of the league and, and some teams who are sort of hitting the ground running on, which I'm sure we'll come to. Mm. Armadale have not lost a game yet. That's That's just what I was looking at then. I shouldn't say yet. I should say Armadale have not lost a game in this night series. They've done very well. Yet. They haven't. And they um, emerged with a impressive 4-1 win against Sterling Macedonia last night. A couple mm. of goals for Peter Jacobs there. So um, they're through to the semi-finals um, with a game to spare. So, yeah, really impressive start to the campaign for, for John O'Reilly's team. Um, he, he's done a remarkable job with, with that over the past few seasons, he's obviously got them to a couple of um, cup finals, mm-hmm. state cup finals, and they've and they've um, represented WA a couple of times on the round of 32 stage. And I'm sure um, the next um, the next step in their progression will be hopefully, as far as they're concerned, to push towards that top four. And they've certainly added some players. Um, Chris Jackson's rejoined the club. He was at Sorrento last year. Um, he's a former Golden Boot winner in the NPL WA and. Um, yeah, they've they've um, they've got some good players in that team, and and um, it's an exciting exciting time once again for Armadale. You feel absolutely. Um, I did see that Kingsley Eshen from Brentford and QPR had signed with Macedonia. Yeah, he's um, it's an interesting signing. He played a little forty five minute cameo last week. Obviously, didn't see him last uh, last night. Um, but he, he certainly looks like a player that's going to add a little bit of um, structure to their front line um, over at Macedonia Park. Spelling were very good last year in their first season after getting promoted from Division 1. They actually came within a couple of games of winning the title and um, prior, prior to last night they were certainly one of the teams that impressed me more in the uh, in the night series to date. Um, having had a look at the team lineup, so I understand that they, they had a few guys rotate. I don't know whether it was rotation or injury or, or guys with, with other things on, which can sometimes happen at this stage of the season. But um, 
but yeah, they've um, they had the league's best defence in season 2022, and um, the, the issue for them, I think they were ranked ninth out of 12 teams in terms of the goals scored column. So um, the likes of Asian, the likes of Alex Tanevsky, who looks to be playing a bit more centrally this year in, in the ninth series, and, and also Daniel Zivkovic, who they've brought over from Perth, that, that might just give Ian Ferguson a few more options as they as they try to take that that one step further. Mm. What are some of the other results from last night? Who else is moving through into the semi-finals? So the other game in Group A last night was a 3-2 win for Floria Athena over Bayswater City. Goals from Ethan Mum, Bailey Brown Montgomery and Nick Ambrogio got them the three points there. That win actually put them above um, Sterling Macedonia in second place. Obviously, there was a bit of a swing on goal difference last night with Armadale winning 4-1 over Sterling and, and, and Floria having a win as well. So um, both of those two teams are now locked on seven points going into the final round of the uh, night series, which is obviously um, next weekend. I actually think it might be a, um, a Floyd versus Sterling match as well. I'm not 100% sure. I'll have to go back and have a little look at the fixtures. But yes, yes, that it would is. Be a, a, yeah. That would be, that would be a, yeah, thanks, Pete. That would be a really <laughs> exciting way to, to sort of wrap up that group. Um, and obviously, they would be they would be racing to play um, uh, the, the teams in Group B. There was one game from Group B last night as well, and that was a one-all draw between Coburn City and um, an Olympic Kingsway. Um so that point now puts Kingsway into second place. Um, they hold a four-point lead over Sorrento, who are third. Um, but obviously there are two games to complete in Group B to, to wrap up the end of Round 4 and then obviously the final round next weekend as well. Those games Sunday are Perth Glory versus Sorrento at 5 o'clock and Inglewood United, who are leading the group at the moment, are playing Perth Red Star at 7. And you can... Hear that on Sport FM 91.3 mm-hmm. with myself and a, and a couple of other people. You're damn cheeky son. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tom, what's the crowds been like at the games? The crowds are often good for the night series, Penny. Um, and I, I think that's, that's due to a, a number of number of factors. I think the weather is often a, a real positive. I think people quite often like to get out and have a, and have a beer and, and all that sort of thing or a, or a soft drink and, and catch up with a few people perhaps I've not seen for, for quite a while over the um, over, over the pre-season or the off-season um, rather. Um, I think also the fact that you have the double headers, that little bit of overlap from um, the first game to the second game, often you sort of get a bit of a pinch point in terms of the crowd sort of with about, with about sort of half an hour to go of the first game and, and sort of through the first half of, of the second game perhaps and maybe even longer if it's a good one. So... Yeah, generally speaking, the crowds the crowds are pretty well attended at night series, um, and and have been really for the past um, couple of years. Obviously, with the exception of a couple of COVID matches that we had to um, endure, but but generally speaking, the night series is um, is something that's quite positive. And, um, and and my understanding from talking to coaches is they really like it as well because it it means that it's a structured competition where they get good, um, hardened quality pre-season games to, to get their teams up to speed. Yes, and also new players into the squad can kind of find their place and there's will obviously be a few movements of players as they find maybe it's their place to be or not their place to be and settle in for the season. Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always plenty of movement in the NPL WA competition. A few, um, a few interesting moves, I suppose, just to... Just to 
touch on a couple. Um, Inglewood have added um, Michael Domfay. He's come over from Sterling, Macedonia. He was former uh, Golden Boot winner at, at Perth Soccer Club, and, and he's got off to a, a fast start in the night series. I think he scored four goals in his first um, three games. So um, In- Inglewood have, um, were, were a little low on goals last season. I think only the bottom two teams in the league scored less goals than the season 2022. So that was an area they clearly needed to work on. And, and with someone like Dom Bay leading the line, um, they could really improve. Um, Florida Cena have brought in Noah Shumaki. Um He's played in Division 1 the past couple of seasons at Western Knights and at Fremantle City. Um, he, he returns to Florida, um, second spell with them. He, he played NPL back in sort of 2018 or, or 2019, somewhere around there. And, and he's sort of filling the boots of Robert Petkov, who's, um, who's as far as I'm aware, is got an injury and he's going to be out for, for quite a large part of the early season. Um, so, yeah, that, those are a couple of the um, a couple of the exciting moves, uh, I suppose, in terms of the, um, in, in terms of the, the, the strikers. Uh, Riley Warland, um, former um, A-League player, has, mm-hmm. um, has linked up with Perth Red Star, um, so he'll be a good addition to their defence. And we spoke about Chris Jackson going across the, to Armadale as well. So I suppose they're a couple of the, um, a couple of the movers and shakers. What about in the coaching space? M- movements there? Um, ooh, off the top of my head, I don't think there's been too much change. I'm just sort of trying to think on the spot now. Um, I think Mirko Jelicic, who was at Coburn City last season, has, has moved on. Um, and I think Stephen McDonald, um, a, a familiar name to those who, who have followed the State League for quite a while, tall central defender who who played at Sorrento back in the day. He, he's in now. I think he was assistant to Yellowstitch last season. Um, other than that, I think the glory have possibly changed uh, head coach. I think John Wormsley is, is now the coach. Um, they, they had um, even Zavella and and, um, and a couple of others sort of rolling through that position last season. I think even Kenny Lowe had a, had a stint towards the end of the season as well after Ruben Zadkovic went across to um, take on A-League duties. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and other than that, I think everybody in the coaching space is pretty um, well solidified. And apologies if I've missed somebody out. Well, stability is uh, one of the key indicators of success, supposedly, when uh, you kind of build on a platform. So that, that's a good thing. What about the MSL? Do you have any comments or news or results from games there? From the, state, uh, the men's state, men's state league, oh. Penny. Yeah. Yep, sorry. Yeah, sorry. It wasn't just me that's trying to figure out what the MSL was. Sorry, I abbreviated it in my head, didn't I? I was thinking of Major League Soccer you were talking about then. I was like, hey, why is it going to... Tommy's like, what's she doing to me under the bus? <laughs> sorry, Tommy, go on. I thought you'd given me some sort of Morse code or something, Tommy, <laughs> that you were testing me at this time of the morning. Um, it, well, in terms of the night series, I must have the State League side of it. I've not been as across that as I have with the NPL, but I, I know that Florida, uh, Manchester City and Fremantle City are, are two teams who have started um, particularly well on, on the, in that sort of space. And um, they're, they're obviously two of the teams who I think will be prominent in that promotion and uh, in that promotion race out of State League Division 1 last season. Manager have made some uh, good additions into what was a pretty stable squad already. Um, they got on that amazing run of form last season, and I think by the end of 2022, they put that, that they were almost averaging four goals a game um, by the end of the season. So they were in some some excellent form, and, and it's worth mentioning as well. That's going to be a really exciting race because it's not just Manjur, it's not just Fremantle City. You've got the Western Knights who have perennially 
um, sort of been up there as, as contenders. Gwalop have obviously come down from the MPL. I'm sure they'll be um, looking looking to bounce back. Um, and then you've had some teams who have been consistently sort of in the top half over the years, the likes of Joondalup United and Fremantle City as well. And, and worth noting as well that, um, that there's obviously the promotion playoff this year that's been introduced. Um, so... Um, teams who are second, third, and fourth in the um, in the state league division one are in with a shout of being promoted to the NPL as of this season. So right. that, that's a pretty exciting addition to the competition as well. Before we let you go, do we want to just touch on the Australia Cup, which is coming up? Cool. Uh, Pete can help you out with there. that. <laughs> Go go for it, Pete. Oh, I was going to say we've got we've got the draw for the Australia Cup and um, sort of for the so we started in the second round here in WA and oh there's a lot of team names that I'm not used to seeing here so um, Tigris FC against Jaguar Southern Spirit against Perth AFC Quinani United against Geograph Bay so I'm hoping um, with these uh, co- the country town um, clubs that they do actually get a game whether it's a case of them coming to the city or whether it's a case of the city team going to them. Um, unfortunately, we often do get a lot of buys appear sort of in the first... Uh, sorry, not buys, um, forfeits appear in the first round when, when teams haven't come, um, you know, made good on the journey. North Perth United are hosting uh, Bunbury Dynamos. Uh, and then there's a few others, you know, um, Cracker... Uh, Dunsborough is hosting Wimbley Downs as well. So, uh, And the third round's also been drawn as well. Uh, but obviously that's going to be contingent on the results from the, the second round. Yep, a few road yeah. trips happening yeah. there. And yeah, no, I, was just about to, I was just about to say with with Pete, he's pretty pretty much nailed it. it is it is a shame. Um, it's, it's obviously great to sort of unite the um, to, to unite the sort of whole state in terms of the cup competition. It's great to see teams like Bunbury and, and like um, uh, and like Dunsborough sort of in in the hat for the in Geograph Bay for the competition. But you just hope that they can put out their their best side in, in those games because it, it is. Um, it is great when we have these upsets in the cup. We saw Emerald um, have a nice run last year, obviously knocking out NPL side Balcata. They, they were in the Sunday League. Mm. Um, so it'd be great to see one of those regional teams um, get through a couple of stages in the competition and um, and create a few um, headlines for themselves. And, yeah, I, I hope... That, I think the Australia Cup's been such a, a wonderful addition to the um, to, to the calendar in, in, in Australian football and... Um, I'm sure, I'm sure you guys will agree with that in the studio as well. And yes. um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a competition that everybody can get behind from the grassroots all the way up to the MPL and the A League. And it, it, it's one of those things that I think um, really unites the, um, the the code here in in Australia. And and and, and I'm sure uh, well, you might be able to um, ask, ask Neil for his opinion on this next penny. But I'd love to see them bring that into the women's side of yes. the um, competition as well. I'm sure it's something that Football Australia. Yep. Um, would love would love to do in the future, but I just think that's something that would be really great um, because we, we would have loved to have seen that Perth Red Star side of um, 2022 last year yes. testing themselves against some of Australia's best sides. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm sure Football Australia would love to do that in the future, um, and, and I'm certainly hoping that that would be a good addition to the calendar as well. I think the one possible problem with that, and I, don't get me wrong, I'd love to see it, is I, I believe a lot of the... the um, ladies who play A League women's then do go back to a state league club over over winter, um, which means conceivably when the cup comes around, they sort of have to pick who they want to play for. Yeah, which, yeah, which sort of that. isn't a consideration for the men's is is the difference. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they could workshop oh, some yeah, sort yeah. of um, tournament. So, hey, I remember a couple of you, you might remember as well, they, they had a competition called the MPL Finals, mm-hmm. um, which I think has been finished now, but it was basically where the champions of each state yes. played in a, yes. um, yes. a round-robin competition. Um, and they and I know Bayswater did got to a, got to the final of that on a couple of occasions. I think they lost to Blacktown City in in one of the games back in 2015. So and maybe, that's that game. A, um, yep. maybe that maybe that's the solution um, for for the women's side at the at the end of the season. There used to be an interstate cup of some kind for the women's champions winners. I think it was between South Australia and WA. Hmm. So I remember maybe Northern Redbacks at some point, and I have to ask Neil about that, travelling to South Australia or them travelling here. Mm. It didn't go for more than a couple of years for some reason. But, yeah, there's been a few reach-outs. But the, the Australia Cup competition has definitely been mooted for the women, so stay Good. tuned on that Good. one. That'll be very exciting. I, I imagine it would probably be a smaller... So the, the men's one's 32 teams, the Australia Cup. Um, obviously, A-League sides and... Uh, 25, 26 state league clubs uh, sorry, 22 club, state league clubs I imagine the women's one probably wouldn't be a 32 team competition yeah. And it might be 16 Eastern teams? State yeah, based. probably quite yeah. heavily Eastern States yeah. We'll see based, but. Like Tommy said, I'm sure there'll be some kind of workshop happening yep. behind yep. the scenes um, And comment, Tommy uh, the Football Australia second tier of football, do you have mm. any thoughts on that? Um, I think it's a good thing in principle. I think the idea of opening up the um, the divisions and giving teams the opportunity to, to strengthen their clubs and to progress and to compete in a higher um, a higher level, perhaps of, of competition, if you want to word it this way. Um, ultimately, though, it's going to come down to um, whether each individual club deems it to be a financially viable thing for them. And, and that's obviously something that, that we're obviously not privy to. All the, all the clubs would have their own ideas about what their sort of budgets are um, in, in terms of when, when the season rolls around and, and what, they're, what they're able to sort of put towards their, not, not just their playing roster, but also their facilities as well to sort of um, fit in with, with whatever sort of regulations that, um, that the National Second Division has. So... Yeah, I think I think the idea of having a national second division and opening up that football pyramid is something that can only be positive. Um, and obviously, you align that with a um, domestic transfer system and various other things as you're sort of starting to move in the right direction. I think it's a it's a very positive thing. Um, but obviously, there's some logistical things that each and every team who have that ambition would have to um, come together and, and discuss and, and really sort of think about. And they've not actually said anything about the national second, like anything formal about the second division then having promotion relegation to the A-League, have they? Well, no, because they're they're literally at the point where they want to find out which clubs are going to submit their expression of interest and are serious about it. I understand that, but surely one one of the factors that the clubs have to choose is whether or not submitting their proposal to join the national second division would be contingent on... And then we can get up to the top division, because otherwise it's I'm, all a bit theoretical. I mean, I, I have no insider information on this, so this, mm. is, this is just my opinion. But I, I would be surprised if promotion and relegation was introduced immediately. Yep. Um, that's just that's just my initial well, initial feeling on the situation. I feel it's something that they'll try and build up over a over a two or three year period, maybe for it to be mm. a um, to, to see whether it's a sustainable thing, and then and then obviously they'll open it up from there. And provide, provided that everyone understands that at the start, that's fine. That's 
but I, I feel there needs to be some clarification about it. I think the clarification needs to come from the licences that the A-League clubs hold currently because I'm pretty sure in their contractual arrangements they don't get promotion and relegation. They are just in the A-League. That, so, that can be worked around. You can brand the top two divisions as the A-League overall. You know, A-League 1 is the top one, A-League 2 is the second one. That's that's not a that's not a completely insurmountable problem, unless you were a team at the bottom of. So the relegation league. out of the second yeah. division then would be a question. But. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that one one of the problems we'll probably face is if obviously if you've got two teams in Perth and the rest obviously over east, and then what happens when, like for example, Adelaide get relegated, yeah. and then Adelaide doesn't have a team. And then we have two teams in WA. So what happens to South Australia? As a West Australian, yeah. I'd have no problem with that. But I, I do see the point. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. That's the hardest part. The, the, the argument against that is everywhere else in the world makes it work. And if Adelaide doesn't have a team in the National League, then it's up to Adelaide clubs to, or one of the Adelaide clubs to step up and, and earn promotion back. Um, I, I can see both sides. Like... Sort of, I know that as, uh, football in Australia is in such a tenuous position at times with regards to finances and stuff that maybe not Adelaide, but if you said, hey, there's no teams in Sydney in the league, they've all been relegated and replaced by teams from Adelaide and Brisbane. Um, yeah, the the governing bodies and the advertisers would be having a freak. Yeah. But um, yeah, so, but yeah. again, the rest of the world makes it work. Yeah. They don't they don't adjust the EPL worrying that, hey, what happens if all teams in London get relegated and we have a season with no London teams? It's no. not a drama. Tommy, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate that and enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'm sure there's more football coming. Pleasure, guys. Enjoy your football and uh, look forward to seeing you during the season. Good on you. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, See Tommy. ya. Tommy Dorman, match reporter. I was going to say for Football West, but I think he's got more fingers in his football pie this year than I've ever seen him. So we'll just say match reporter, commentator. We will talk more football in a moment with Derek Pollock. This is Penn, Pete and Mo on the World Football Program. Stay tuned. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. Hi, I'm Peter Skeeler. Everyone seems to think I'm the ultimate wingman and full of helpful information. It's true, I am. My passion is trivia and Australian football statistics. Check out aleaguestats.com, my website where you can follow all the stats and results from the men's and women's A-leagues from the beginning of time, or at least 2005 and 2008 respectively. You're listening into the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle, and we appreciate you tuning in. Everybody has goals. Whether it's learning a new skill or passing on knowledge. Making new friends? Is it finding a career path? Or reaching your full potential? Chase your goals. See where football can take you. 
coaching football. Is it about leading your nation? Or giving back to your community? Is it about inspiring the next generation? Or just spending time together? Find out what coaching football means to you. Visit myfootballclub.com.au Welcome back to the World Football Program. Penn, Pete and Mo in the studio with you. That's actually got a good ring to it. I think we should do this again. Yep. <laughs> good morning, Derek. How are you? Always good. Thank you, Penny. How are you guys? We're super awesome. We've got Derek Pollock on the line, EPL expert or pundit. What would you prefer to be called, Derek? Go with pundit. I don't know. I'm a forensic person. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you come across very well. Always good feedback from our listeners when you're on the show, young man. So thank you for joining oh, us. What's, no, me. what's top of the list at the moment on uh, Derek's EPL radar? Uh, oh, many things at the moment. Many things. Um, Manchester City going back to the rightful place at the top of the Premier League table, <laughs> uh, albeit somewhat temporarily with Arsenal with the game in hand. But, you know, the, the old 11-point gap that used to exist is no longer there, so that's, that's a positive. Um, and I'm just waiting for the financial penalties, 15-point uh, deduction or whatever, to to reverse that trend. But, um, but yeah, that's got to be up there. And then uh, Manchester United getting bought out by, possibly, um, the state of Qatar. Ooh. Oh, my I did Lord. not know about that one. So, hang on, hang on. Uh, is that somewhere where Ronaldo is? Is he going to be back at Manchester United? No, no, he's in Saudi Arabia. No, no, he's in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Saudi Arabia and Qatar don't like each other, by the way, so it's literally... I was, I was playing with you, all right? So Qatar, isn't it Qatar who have bought the rights to the... or want to buy the rights to the Women's World Cup? No, that's also Saudi Arabia. That's also Saudi Arabia. Oh the so irony that, of Saudi yeah, Arabia. Yeah, great irony. Gee whiz, they're kind of the, the Middle Eastern countries are kind of you know, reaching out, aren't they? I don't know what to think about that one, actually. So I'm just not going to think about it. Yeah, that I'm, not, I'm not a massive fan of um, yeah, Saudi Arabia sponsoring a, an event where players playing in that event would possibly face the death penalty for existing yeah. uh, in their country. Um, yeah. But, you yeah. know. Moving on from that one, um, Qatar, you know, possibly by Man United, there's no, you know, an official bid this morning apparently was um, launched. You know, there's been rumours of Sir Jim Ratcliffe and, and a few other people and then, you know, Qatar were bobbing up around in, in that conversation. But the, there was an official bid according to Fabrizio Romano this morning. Um, and I'm going to be interested to see how they do the paperwork to try and pretend, similarly to how Saudi Arabia were trying to pretend it wasn't them, it was just some random businessman yeah. who happened to be part of the government buying Saudi Arabia, buying Newcastle United, sorry. Yep. How Qatar is going to buy Man United but also not own PSG. What do you mean? So the Qatari Sports Investment, which is uh, part of the Sovereign Wealth Fund of, of the nation, has um, owns PSG. Are they not and, allowed uh, to own two separate clubs in different competitions? Yeah. In different leagues? Well, they if they both qualify for the Champions League, they'll ah, be in the same competition. Of course. Ah. So, which is where it gets complicated. Yeah. Yeah, so yes. I, mean, I mean, if if they currently, being the Europa League and the Champions League, it would be absolutely fine. However, I would imagine um, the aim would be for both to be simultaneously in the Champions League. Yep. Wow. Which would be massively problematic. <laughs> so, does FIFA have rules that stop that happening? Or is that just... UEFA certainly do. Okay. Yeah, UEFA certainly have rules, and that's why... Um, Red Bull had to pull a few dodgy uh, accounting slash um, administrative manoeuvres to try and pretend that um, Rasenball Sports, so Grass Sports, who happen to be RB Leipzig, aren't 
owned by the same group as RB Salzburg, uh, and they managed to somehow get away with it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm assuming that this guy who, who happens to own a bank, <laughs> in a nationalised bank in Qatar is somehow not going to be the same people as Qatari sports investment. Um, but look, you know, that's the, the world of the opaqueness of multinational business, isn't it? Mm. Wow. Anything can be obfuscated if necessary. Yeah. And then people still go out and play football because they love it and all this other stuff is happening. Correct. But uh, the thought of... of Man United being owned by the Qataris um, is scary for anyone who doesn't like watching Man United win, which is basically <laughs> everyone that isn't a Man United fan. Yep. <laughs> Given that over the last decade they've been, you know, one failure after another while simultaneously paying back exorbitant amounts of debt while also paying their owners massive, massive salaries uh, in, in the region of tens and tens of millions of pounds. And they've still managed to spend, you know, GDP or greater than some GDPs of formations on, on, on football wages and players. So if you get rid of the profit taking by the owners and you get rid of the debt that they have to pay back, that yeah, that's a lot of money that can be spent on, on a lot of good players. Is that like the principle of negative gearing? Gee <laughs> <laughs> whiz. I, I do wonder how all of this kind of works because we're talking about the financial status of um, some of the EPL clubs and it can't possibly be just one club that is needing to be reviewed because of their financial position. Surely there will be multiple clubs mm. in similar positions. So why is only one being reviewed at this moment? I think they're, they're, they're all getting reviewed, but um, basically what happened was UEFA did an investigation that concluded in, I believe, 2018, um, and that's when in 2020 they had amount that he had the, the two-year um, ban from the Champions League that they appealed to the Court of Arbitration Court and won. So they, as you can probably tell, they've been in the Champions League for the last two years. Mm-hmm. But when that announced in 2018, that's when the Premier League started their own investigation and under a different set of rules and a different set of financial obligations. And they have um, also, there's no, no right to appeal to the Court of Arbitration Court. So they've launched about 100... Yeah, they've had a four-year investigation that Man City have violated hundreds of different uh, financial regulations, uh, one of one of which was um, Roberto Mancini was getting paid X number of pounds. Um, he was also um, had owned a side business that was invoicing the government of Abu Dhabi um, for, for other payments unrelated to football, um, which you may or may not believe. And so things like that, financial irregularities, where they were spending far more money um, then they were saying that they were spending and then they were lying about it um, and trying to sort of hide things and then not cooperating with the financial authorities. Mm. Therefore, um, they just tried to go to town a little bit on them. And it's, it's going to be interesting for the Premier League to try and balance. We want Manchester City in the competition because they have lots of good players and a lot of money. A lot of money. And we, we want to try and keep the other top five happy. We really want to see Man United, Man City not be in the Premier League for a couple of years. And not also to forget, Derek, that there's a long history of that club and a lot of people support it. Mm. Um, so we don't really want them to go bust or be suspended or whatever it is because people do love their football and they go to that club to support their football. So there's also that tradition. Uh, yeah, it's, it's... yeah, and I think that's, that's the point that I, I find hardest is the financial fair play rules were 
according to UEFA and the Premier League, brought in to try and stop clubs going bust. And that's why they have these rules, apparently. And, you know, but realistically, the set of Abu Dhabi is not going bust. Therefore, Manchester City is not going bust. Um, and so it's, it's really trying to preserve the status quo of, of, of the big clubs in the league because there's, there's zero danger of these clubs, you know, ceasing to exist in a way that, you know, Portsmouth almost did, Rangers did, um, and other clubs almost did. Like, you know, Bolton had to go under. That, 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 those clubs operate in a different financial reality to clubs like Manchester City. And so that, exists, that um, reality doesn't exist or that possibility. And so to try and pretend that that's why they've got the rules is a little bit hard to take when it's not actually going to happen ever. Um, but, but, you know, the rules are still rules and you have to abide by the rules regardless of why they're there. Um, and yeah, City haven't done that. Um, other clubs seem to have, although Chelsea are definitely uh, trying their best to, to get as close to those rules as they possibly can. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all very interesting, isn't it? That um, you said in there they lied about things, but that's normal course of business for some businesses. That's yep. just uh, working within the rules. I mean, they're operating. Well, it's only against the rules if you get caught. Something like that's that. what you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah, it, and it's interesting how they can, you know, still operate this business because they have the owners of this business have other businesses that offset it. So in the total scheme of the owner, it's being funded, but take that soccer club separately and it's not making the money, but it's still being funded by someone else who's getting the money from somewhere else. But that's the case with any soccer club ever. It's, you know, a soccer club actually turning a profit is so rare, it's... You know, I mean, Perth Glory loses money. Yes, yeah. but it's being funded by Tony Sachs, yeah, right. billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. So stand alone, it's not making money. So it wouldn't meet financial fair play because on its own, it's not breaking even at least. But well, is that is that what the financial fair play okay. is? That they have to break even? Because I don't they have to meet the debt. No, they're, they're entitled to lose a certain amount of money. That's, yeah. They recognise that there is a level of investment required from clubs if you're if you're, if you're Newcastle. You're not making much money, and so you know the owners come in and they have literal trillions of pounds. <laughs> so they want to be able to spend some of that um, in order to buy better players, you know, invest, quote unquote, so they can jump up a tier uh, in the in the scheme of things, and then compete and, and make more money from that um, from playing at a higher level and a higher competition. You know, if we spend two hundred million pounds, then we can then get to the Champions League and make you know, 400 million pounds over three or four years, then that's, you know, that's good business. And so that's mm. kind of, so they've allowed you to lose a certain amount of money per year, but it's, it's trying to stop uh, clubs over-investing beyond their means. Yeah. If, yeah. you know, like, and, and like Portsmouth many years ago, um, almost, almost didn't exist because um, of, yeah, silly financial decisions. Um, you know, ranges up in Scotland. Um, some will argue whether or not they still exist. Some will argue <laughs> that they don't. Um, but, you know, spent many, many years paying money that they didn't have, um, whereas Man City have the money, they're just not allowed to spend the money, mm. um, and so, or all of it anyway. And so that's that's why there's sort of different arguments. You know, one is actually we don't have this money, but we're just, we're just going to spend it anyway, and that's leave it horrible. And if we don't make this competition, then we're just going to travel. Mm. Whereas Man City owners have all of the money, and they go, well, why can't we spend all the money? No. They go, Derek, before we let you go, and you're, you're coming in and out a little bit there of reception, um, the FIFA best player nominees are out there in the public space at the moment. Have you got any thoughts or comments on, on any of those? Uh, 
So some of the nominees are for the FIFA Best Player Men's, uh, Jude Bellingham, Benzema, De Bruyne. How do you say his surname? De Bruyne? De Bruyne? De Bruyne is De Bruyne, how I say it. Or De Bruyne, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Harland, Messi and Neymar. So there's some of the nominees. There's 14. I think there's 14 in each category from memory. Hmm. Yeah, I, I just... I, this argument that I always have with, especially as a high school teacher, students who um, live on MBA and therefore love individual accolades and... Um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of individual accolades in, accolades in a team sport, especially a team sport like football where it is a weak link sport. And so, you know, the improving your weak link or your weakest link is much better for your team than improving your strongest link. Yeah. Um, and so, I, yeah, however, um, and so these comp- conversations get hard because, you know, Messi just won the World Cup. Um, mm-hmm. However, he hasn't played that well with PSG, but has he played well? Um, but personally, I think Holland should win it because the man is a machine. <laughs> and happens also with Sky Blue, but you know that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I really like your comment about the weak link sport. How it's all about improving the weakest link to improve the team. That's a great comment. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because you know some some sports like basketball, for example, are very much a strong link sport. Where if you can get you know three average players and two superstars, you're going to do better. Yeah. But you know if you've got Lionel Messi in your team, but you've got four absolutely incompetent defenders, you're still going to lose. Yeah, and that's, um, funnily enough, we were actually just saying that um, off-air with the last World Cup. It it was almost a demonstration of the fact that football is a team sport and teams like Morocco and Australia who, you know, arguably had, you know, before the the tournament, people would have looked at their names and a list of players' names and gone, oh, these guys aren't going to achieve much, uh, both, you know, vastly overachieved. uh, Sorry, not overachieved. Sorry, Mo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exceeded expectations that that people would have put specifically because they were a team um, playing a team game, whereas you know Germany was out in the first round, Italy wasn't even there. Um, yeah, I think it's a demonstration that it's a very much a team game, and as you say, putting putting one star player in an average team isn't going to get you that far. Absolutely, and I like to that um, an example of um, Reading versus Swansea um, several years ago in, in the playoff final. So again, the most the richest game in world football to get into the Premier League, mm-hmm. and the Reading centre back gave away two penalties in the first half um, through pure incompetence, mm-hmm. and Swansea scored two goals, and it was two nil at half time, and the game was basically over. You know, if you improve that one player, it doesn't matter if you're at Lionel Messi. If you improve that one player, suddenly those penalties don't happen, and it's a totally different game. And yeah, and I've done statistics on um, soconomics the guys there, Simon Cooper, and that, yeah, showed over um, their financial modelling that goes, or mathematical modelling that goes way beyond my head. Um, but, yeah, if you improve over the course of a season, your weakest link 10%, you'll have more a, a larger point increase mm. than your strongest link 10% and vice versa. Interesting. What do you think about that, Mo? Yeah, quite Solid. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I think we'll leave it there, Derek. That's good food for thought to leave this segment. Well done. <laughs> have a great weekend. Appreciate your time today. Oh, there we are. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Thanks, Hi, Derek. Derek. Derek Pollock, our EPL pundit. Yeah, that's a good thought. Oh, I, I got one other little bit of news I had to share. You, yep. you asked important news during the week. Very important for, I think, practically every football fan out there. Uh, they, they have announced the release date of Season 3 of Ted Lasso. Oh, nice. So Wednesday, March 15th, it's coming to Apple TV. 
Um, I'm sure at least half of the listeners will be, be watching Ted Lasso and everyone's heard of it. And I think it's still going to be released on a week-by-week basis. So it's take yourself back to the 80s where you needed to tune in at a specific time <laughs> each week to watch. Well, not quite like that. But, yeah, it's not. you can't binge the whole thing in one hit unless you wait a couple of months till they're all released. Have you watched that, Mo? No, no, I haven't. <sighs> you might want to go and watch it now. And- yeah, I will. Yeah, it's very good. It's very funny. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, not just funny. Um, as you get into it, um, the characters are very, very well well drawn as well, like more than you'd think. Anyway, that's favourite show of the last couple of couple of years. Now, before we get, uh, go to break and talk to David Templeman, Mo, let's talk about Perth Glory and your experience there and how things are going you must be jumping out of your skin to share some of your messages and and stories and experiences go on go for it uh obviously i've been i've been at the club for many years um been very much in all age groups so it's 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 been good and you could see um obviously you could see the progress on especially on not not just that glory but in in wa itself like the player development the progress you can see going up slowly slowly um, these much much better players at young age coming through, um, so that that shows that obviously even in in many rules and obviously outside outside the academy the the, the training and coaching is is getting better, um, and obviously that benefits that benefits us. They come through and then obviously we've got a bit few few stages they get through. Um, we've got the community programs with um, which Michael Garcia. Uh, Steve Burton run, so these ones very very important. Obviously, young kids from the community come through. Um, they do, they learn a lot about you know being organised. Um, uh, things the basics. Uh, Michael focuses on a lot on the basics, um, and then obviously they go from there and they move on to pre academy. We used to have under twelves, but um, I think we had under twelves for like. Three three years, but then um, I think the clubs didn't didn't quite like us having the under twelves, mm. so we uh, we started pre academy instead. Um, which what age we, is that? Which is very much under twelves. So it's um, it's obviously many rules. The, the the players now don't obviously play for us. They try. They just try and play for their own clubs uh, at the age, but they get. Good coaching. They have um, Gavin Brown and Sean Darcy. Gavin was it Mum FC? Yes. <laughs> Is it was it John Curtin too? Yes, he's um, he's at John Curtin. Yes. A so, lot Yeah, he's um, yeah. They both doing a great job with pre academy, um, and then obviously it, it just it just bridges that gap when when they moving up into the academy. So they they obviously go with Michael. They learn quite a lot. On you know what football is about, then they move into pre academy, which is a little bit more um, strict. Yeah, on how they train, the intensity. Uh, Are we talking about training only through those ages? Yes. So what age do they then start to play for Glory in a league? Uh, when they get into the MPO under thirteens. Okay. Okay. When, when the players come into the thirteens, obviously they start they register to play for the academy. And then they become part of the of the academy, um, but before that they just come in and train, and then they go and play for their clubs. Uh, and, and I think it's a good it's a good way to prepare the younger players 
uh, before they get into the MPO squads. Uh, and obviously when they get into the MPO, it's still, it's still, there's obviously there's a process to follow and, you know, for, for both players and coaches and it's more controlled manner in how things are done. So it's 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 good. It's good for both the coaching and, and, and the players and obviously you can see progress. The kids come in, they they obviously want to be professionals. So the their mentality at training and games is, is, is always quality. So as a coach, um you can straight away see progress. Where do they train? Does the all of the young young ones up to say the age of eighteen train at one place so that there's a connect between the club and the pathways or are they all um, places? No, if um the community programs obviously are only in different places and they'll have different hubs so to make sure that the kids don't travel too much. So okay. they'll have uh, you know hubs at north, south, central. Gotcha. H- yeah. How many teams or academies are we talking around Perth? Like five, ten, fifteen, two hundred kids. Do you, do you know? Um, not roughly. I'm not sure exactly on the numbers. Um, but they'll have a group, you know, a group of fifteen, twenty in each in each hub uh, to make sure they they obviously get a good good session. Yeah. Um, but it also helps, obviously, for the kids to be... If, if the hub is closer to them, then they don't have to travel sure. too much. Yeah. And can but I ask, is it boys, just boys, or are we talking boys and girls? Um, it, it was mixed before for the community, obviously. It's, it's, it was mixed. But now they actually added in another program into the community, which is for the girls, I think. Um, they, so they a separate in, line yes, for the girls? Yes, I, I was just going to say they're actually advertising at the yeah. moment. They've got a um, girls program, Glory for Girls. Yeah, yep. So which, which is great to see as well because it's, it's so, so important. Um, and obviously when it, when it gets to pre-academy, they also got different hubs this year um, to, for that same reason, to make sure that the kids at North and South don't, travel too much but with the academy MPL juniors we we trying down at um, St John's Wood at the school just behind um, Hatchby Stadium so we, we we do all the training there we, we play the games uh, the seniors train there in the mornings so we train in the afternoons the 18s 20s and 23s train in the afternoon in, in the morning early in the morning before school yep. is there a connect to for Perth Glory generally to encourage the kids when they come through the Perth Glory program to kind of know that it's a it's a club that's representing West Australia in a national competition that when you enter at the young age that we're encouraging you to be a part of that pathway so there's certain things that we'd we'd educate you in like it might be um, I don't know connecting maybe not the age of 12 but maybe at the age of 14 or 15 or 16 um, where they might um, visit with a senior player to a school and do a bit of role modelling at um, like school holiday times, anything like that? Yeah, they, uh, we do do that with um, youth team players. So a lot of our youth team players, which obviously uh, most of them are you know, 16, 17 playing first team football. So most of them will go into schools and things like that to, to go and obviously into the community. Um, but with the younger ones, it's, it's not so much. We, when we had the Twelves a couple of years back, we used to go and play community teams, like, like teams that are not in the NPL, to just 
um, obviously in, they, they never get the chance to apply us so we, we take the team to them um, and, and we'll apply them and obviously the coach should go and do a session uh, with the clubs um, but obviously now no 12s so uh, it's only academic teams but I'm sure um, Michael Garcia and Steve Purton do that sort of stuff and uh, they grew into clubs so they 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 agree into clubs and do sessions at the clubs um with the obviously Perth glory coaches yeah uh, because they got their own group of coaches uh in the community do i do i hear from what you're saying that we're talking about male orientated pathway and that the program that Pete just mentioned that was an, an inaugural program for girls football Yes, I think that program just started this year, so I'm sure they'll be doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, uh, Mike and Steve are pretty good at um, with, in regards to that sort of programs. Um, they've been there for so many years, so yeah, they do uh, so a great job. My, my question would be then that I know you're involved with the boys' football. There'd be no girls, I take it, in your program. Yeah, just just boys. So it's um, obviously the W League. Girls sometimes come and train with us off season, so they train with the boys, and um, usually they'll train with the under 16s or under 15s. And that's because they don't have their own pathway through the lower age groups of Perth Glory yet. Yes, because uh, obviously the pathway will be in TC to W League. Yep. Normally, um, so there isn't a pathway obviously in an MPO um, pathway for the girls in the, in the Glory yet. We're going to go to break. Thank you, Mo. We'll talk more. This is Penn and Mo and Pete on the World Football Programme. We're going to be up next with David Templeman. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western <coughs> Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432-745-140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. You're listening to the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle. We are proud to be the longest-running football show on radio in Australia. Join myself, Penny Tannerhoth, Pete Skeller, Sean Kelly and Hugh Best every Saturday morning in the 10am to noon space. You will hear football conversations with a range of guests and gurus. The show lands as a podcast on our website and you can subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening in to the World Football Programme. Welcome back to the World Football Programme. Penn, Pete and Mo in the studio and the WA Sports Minister, David Templeman, on the line. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Penny, Pete and Mo. Great to join you again this morning. Oh, my God, that's that rolled off your tongue so well, like <laughs> the three stooges. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always good to join you. Good on you. Good on you. Keeping up the great Templeman name in the WA state here with... Um, the other Templeman members of the extended yep. family doing their job very well, I might say, Dave. 
Oh, look, very proud. Very proud that I've got connections to football directly <laughs> with uh, with uh, a, a, a sort of second cousin or third cousin doing some great stuff. But yeah. look, I'm, I, I, uh, I continue to be amazed by the uh, tremendous progression of so many uh, people in the in the great game of football. And um, there's a lot happening, as you know, and we're warming up towards uh, the FIFA World Women's World Cup, of course, so, which is only... A few months away, so lots happening in that area. It is. Do tell us what the Joe Blow on the street is going to expect in the coming months to know that a Women's World Cup is landing here in Perth. Yeah, look, um, the uh, the FIFA Women's World Cup is seen as a great uh, opportunity for, for Western Australia, obviously being part of the World Cup, uh, to showcase uh, the sport of football and make sure that uh, there's a legacy. So there'll be lots of uh, uh, festivities, if you like, and uh, and uh, opportunities of, uh, and, and celebrations and advertising and marketing about the event coming up. We want to see it spread throughout the grassroots of football too so that uh, we continue to inspire more and more uh, girls, young women, uh, and, of course, young fellas and, and men to play uh, the sport. We already know that the... Participation rates in football are just continuing to expand uh, so exponentially. And we also know that uh, we've got to uh, focus on infrastructure to uh, to uh, accommodate that expansion. And that's one of the uh, the big uh, priorities for me is making sure that we maximise that uh, those opportunities going into the future. Uh, yes. So, look, things are going well. So let's, let's just talk about we've got... Uh, it's February now. We'll have teams arriving in about... Oh, much of major about three to four months. They'll start to come and acclimatise here as they kind of map out the space ready to play the Women's World Cup. What will we actually see? Are we going to see great big Sam Kerr banners draped across Wellington train station and bus billboards and things like that and tournament, mini tournaments and free giveaways for Women World Cup flags or something? What are we actually going to see that's going to tell yeah, so, so. people beside you and me? It's a, look, it's a great question, and so um, there's a uh, there's work being done now in terms of the the overall marketing. Obviously, Tourism WA uh, has uh, spearheaded the funding for this event, so having won uh, Western Australia's opportunity to be part of the FIFA World Cup. So uh, there are uh, in in the coming months we will see a whole range of uh, programs at grassroots level, uh, uh, the general marketing uh, opportunities for the banners and the uh, also, some some uh, sort of I suppose mini events and uh, and uh, uh, signature opportunities to highlight that not only is the uh, the FIFA World Cup coming here, but we've uh, of course upgraded uh, infrastructure. The Danish uh, Denmark's already announced, of course, it's a base camp where it's going to be based at Kingsway Reserve, um, and so we'll maximise all of those once they once the finalisation of the base camps are uh, finalised. We'll make sure that people are aware of. Uh, that they can adopt a, a country, actually, if they like, you know, adopt a country in terms of support. Uh, we also work within the multicultural community to make sure that um, we have uh, our multicultural groups that uh, are, will be represented in the games played in WA are actively engaged as well. The State Football Centre, of course, is uh, nearing completion um, and, uh, and um, the, uh, the, the, the schedule for all of our infrastructure to be ready is, is, on, is on track. But Promotion initiatives, lots happening. There's uh, uh, going to be Unity Pitch held in, in Scarborough Beach on the 2nd and 9th of, of, 
of uh, March. There'll be a trophy tour throughout uh, early July, and that'll go to some mm. regional places, including Buffalo and Kununurra and Broome. And there's also the, the FIFA Fan Festival, uh, which is going to be held during the tournament from the uh, 20th of July to the 20th of August. So all of these are actively being uh, organised and planned for now, and uh, more information will be uh, be uh, delivered to people so that they can be absolutely involved in uh, in this this signature event for football in Western Australia. It's going to be magnificent. Dave, it's great that you pinpointed some things there, and mm. that we we want to know those things so that we can share them. So you know, when we have you back on. I hope that we can reinforce those things, add a few more things to it and just keep telling everybody out there that's, that's what we need to do. Let, share the good news, of course. Uh, look, Penny, I think this is this is a great opportunity for football to really place its, uh, put its uh, foot forward. Uh, we already know the growth, as I said earlier, in, in, the, in the code, uh, both at junior and, uh, and uh, high levels. But um, here's the chance to say, hey... The world game is not only alive and well in Western Australia, but it's absolutely thriving. And it delivers huge benefits to uh, people, both uh, physically and mental health well-being. So uh, I think this is a great opportunity, and don't worry, we're not going to miss it. Good one. Now, we did talk about, or you did talk about infrastructure, the State Football Centre coming along very nicely. It is not far from where I work, so I go past it just about every day. So I do have the lowdown on that, and it is coming along. Uh, HBF Park, uh, how's that coming along? Yeah, look, um, obviously we've got a, you know, there's a tight schedule because everything's got to be ready for the uh, for the um, uh, the cup. Um, the FIFA's going to inspect the venue in early March, so uh, everyone knows that we've got to make sure it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, well on track uh, for when those uh, games are played in our in our rectangular stadium. So, uh, with FIFA uh, expected here to to inspect the venue in early March, we've only got a few weeks to make sure that uh, everything that needs to be in place is in place. Uh, and there'll be some obviously some finishing touches added, but we're very confident that everything's tracking well for um for our uh, our rectangular stadium. And of course, um, the other the other thing is we've uh, there's been some upgrades to other facilities which yes. of course will play play um host to some of our uh, visiting teams too so at the end of all of this we're going to not only have a infrastructure upgrade for a number of important uh, football uh, uh, sites but also we're going to have a our own state footy center and uh, we're going to want obviously want to build on the legacy that having a a world a world uh, uh, fifa experience here in wa can that uh, can deliver into the future for for young fans and for young players. Now, you, the other venues, and Pete can probably fill in my uh, space in my memory here, but Dorian Gardens is also a training venue. You said uh, Kingsway Olympic for Denmark. Um, get on your computer, young man, and tell me what those other <laughs> venues are. <laughs> um, so Dorian Gardens in um, Perth, uh, Perth Soccer Club, um, that's one venue. So there's, uh, I think there's four four venues for four yeah. teams. Yeah. yeah. You, um, I went, uh, I, I'm sure... All right, we've got Doran Gardens, we've got uh, the State Football Centre. These are the confirmed ones. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Uh, it? Kingsway and Kingsway Reserve you mentioned, of course, as well. Yeah, Uh, those are the only two I've got listed, yeah. So the three, Doran Gardens, Kingsway and the State Football Centre. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So important um, important, uh, uh, facilities that already deliver, of course, but uh, with with, um, with the enhanced... There's been some serious money spent to upgrade these. And, and I think one of the important things uh, for sport more broadly is the government's focus on making sure that female uh, uh, um, the, the female players of the game 
are uh, you know their the facilities for them are upgraded because a lot of our, a lot of our facilities of course had no or very poor um, female facilities uh, female friend, facilities for female players so that's yep. uh, that's also a focus and that's really really important as well yes so I, I can rattle off some of them and you can probably uh, chuck a few more in there is it Winthrop Reserve. Uh, in the city of Melville has just about come online with their new facility there, which is uh, by the club termed the home of women's football now. Um, then there's Headlands Junior Soccer Club. have got $176,000 for their night lights upgrades. Headland? Is that as in Port Headland? Yep. Huh. Yep. Um, and North Beach Club rooms are having an upgrade. I'm not quite sure where yep. that's at. Um, yep. And, 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 you know, on top of that, we're election commitments to uh, uh, obviously the $1 million commitment to City of Stirling, the City of Joondalup with its Sorrento Footy Club's uh, $1 million upgraded change rooms and amenities, East, East Fremantle, the Fremantle Footy, City Footy Club. Where's um, the Sorrento one happening, Dave? Uh, look, I'm not 100% sure where that's at, but that that money was committed in the, at the last election, so my understanding is that um, works uh, to um, uh, you know upgrade their uh, change rooms and facilities is either about to commence or has commenced, but I'm not 100% sure okay. exactly where the status is. All right. But it's money, but it's money committed, so uh, uh, I'd hope that those projects are uh, well on the way to delivery. And, and speaking of commitments, Joondalup United Football Club, they are in need of some help, Dave. Is that one across your bowels? Hmm. Uh, Joondalup, the, uh, look, um, I, I, uh, I think I've had some correspondence from... Uh, them and I'm happy to follow that one up actually after this our conversation today. Look, I, I am very, very aware that we have I, I, what I call them is uh, uh, like almost a heat maps within the in, the in the case of the metropolitan area where we have huge growth and then we have a lack or or, or a lack uh, a lapse in um, infrastructure keeping up both in terms of upgrade and in terms of you know further delivery of, of numbers of legs on the ground. So I'm always keen to hear from clubs and. Uh, in terms of the north, I'm heading out to the northern north metropolitan area with a number of our north metropolitan members uh, the week after next, uh, looking at a number of um, our facilities, including those facilities for football. So I'll make sure that one's on the map. Good lad. Or on, Good. The, on the list. Yep. Good lad. Now, uh, I don't know if you've been involved in any conversations about this, but there's a proposed second tier of... A-League football being muted across Australia at the moment. So we've got our A-League and then there's proposed to be a second tier below that, which is kind of like the connecting tier between our state football and the A-League. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that for where resources and pathways might and government might land in that space. Any discussions? Yeah, look, um, I mean, I, I uh, obviously with... Uh you know, with the, the peak body for the West, I want to make sure that um, we uh, are well across the conversations as to where the, the game is going at a national level and then, and then obviously with the level that sit within, with under, underneath that. Um, I think, uh, uh, you know, we're very keen to support the code in terms of strengthening pathways. I think there is some still some work to do in that in that respect. So... Um, you know, we want to make sure that not only we have the infrastructure in place, but the support, including programs. Uh, you know, whether they're programs in community or even programs in school, that allow, in schools that allow a, a clearer pathway for players um, uh, as they're moving through uh, the layers of uh, of, uh, of of the game. Uh, that those those pathways are clear and uh, and 
accessible. So always keen to hear and listen and speak to uh, the, uh, the leaders in the code about the best way that that government can support that. Um, other codes have some you know, fairly clear pathways and uh, football, of course, uh, is only going to continue to thrive if those, if those pathways are strengthened and, and made more, uh, more clearer. There's only, um, well, the Women's World Cup is up there with you know, the World Cup. When, mm-hmm. when anyone thinks the World Cup, it's played by the most nations of any sporting code. Mm-hmm. So it's the number one event in the world. It is coming to Australia, Dave. So if we don't leverage this, we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. Oh, we don't yeah. want to miss the opportunity. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Look, look, I think the other thing is I'm very keen, and you know, we're doing some work now, the department's doing some work with, uh, you know, volunteering, volunteering WA, for example, to look at the uh, the other issues that affect, um, you know, ultimately having kids and young people, and then others who are moving through uh, at different levels on the on the sporting field, um, uh, and that's in regards to what restraints are there currently for for people who you know volunteers and those that put their time and effort into supporting young people and and teams. Uh, I really am very interested in what more can government do to support that. That you know that we we have such a strong reliance on volunteerism in, in community sport, uh, and uh, football is no um, no stranger to that. Uh, so, what more can government do to support that very important volunteer uh, uh, army that's out there, making sure that kids, young boys, young women, uh, girls, and and then as people move through the uh, the age ranks can get out on that field and uh, and get all the benefits of, of being a team member in, a ga- in the game. So uh, we, we've got important work to do, I think, in that respect too. So here's a question for you. The young man sitting opposite me was in Morocco for the World Cup and we were talking about the culture of Australia and football and Morocco and their football. And um, Mo said to me, that that's, uh, the young man sitting opposite me, the kids are out there playing football after the sun goes down. Mm. And I, I think, Dave, in Australia, in Western Australia, how could a kid play football after the sun goes down here? You know, you'd have to think about where they would go to play football to do that. Is it under light somewhere? Is it in a safe space? Is there grass somewhere? How far would they need to walk or ride their bike? And that all goes to the culture of football that we have here to... You know, goes to what more can we do and what are we providing to get the right pathways and leverage from a World Cup that's coming to our shores. You really got me thinking, Mo, when you said about yeah, that. Yeah, look, I think one of the other things is is the, and we've spoken about this before, and I've already had a meeting, he's only been appointed uh, since December, but the new Minister for Education, uh, about um, making sure that those ovals and spaces on school grounds and uh, next to school grounds are are absolutely open and activated. Uh, and that includes looking at, you know, our lighting program. I mean, I, I'm very proud of our uh, night lights program because um, the more uh, uh, night lights that we've got on spaces, uh, the more the extended uh, uh, time that people can be on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we already know that lots of our pitches now are actually under under heavy demand when you've got, you know, in the old days, there might have only been one game of, uh, a day or one game a session played, but now... Um, is a is a, uh, with you know women and and men's and boys and girls teams playing juniors at the eight then nine then ten then yeah, youth absolutely. at eleven so, and then women and men so, and, <laughs> and so the demand the demand on those grounds 
means that not only do we have to look after them more and, and program uh, how we uh, how we make sure that we get maximum uh, uh, you know arms and legs uh, out in the ground, but also um, what uh, what does it mean for utilising underutilised uh, spaces that uh, aren't activated and they should be, uh, and then also of course new greenfield sites. So these things are um, are uh, you know top of my priority. Maximise. Um, what we what we aren't accessing yet, uh, and uh, and uh, if that's uh, you know having better stronger relationships with schools or both private and uh, and uh, public uh, or, or local governments, then uh, I think uh, we've got to do that. And look, the new education minister is very very keen to work on this. Tony Booty and I have had some uh, really good conversations on this because he also, having been sports minister before me recognises that we've got to maximise the use of these spaces and places. And by doing that, you increase the safety around those areas as well. Yeah. And it means that people are out doing good, positive, active um, uh, physical exercise and physical activity. And, Being uh, healthy. That can, only benefit, that can only benefit the community more broadly. Absolutely, mm. in the long term. Yeah, less kids uh, sitting in their room on devices and out there enjoying life and using everything that uh, they were born with. Now, I, uh, before we let you go, I did want to to just ask you, did you know that in Fremantle there's a building on, it's called a Scoop Property, and I'm giving mm. them just like a slight plug because on the <laughs> side of the building is a big painting of Sam Kerr, and Pete and I went oh, down brilliant. there a couple yep. of years ago. I have heard about it. Yeah, so uh, just uh, when we're talking about banners and getting things out there for the World Cup, and um, yeah, Sam's a superstar globally now, but uh, yeah, if you want to kind of go down there and get a photo of yourself Nick, this <laughs> painting. I, 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 I've heard of it I have heard of it but I, I saw it on social media a, a little while ago but uh, I need to go and get a, a selfie there I think uh, because uh, as you said we want to make sure we maximise the excitement of having a world class event in women's football right here in, in Perth mm. uh, and we want to make sure that you know young girls young boys uh, who love the game or need to be um, you know, exposed to the game, get that so that they uh, establish a lifelong love of the game and uh, they play it, they watch it, they become fanatic fans. And one thing about West Australians is we are known around Australia as being fanatical fans in lots of codes <laughs> and uh, there's no reason why we can't maximise uh, our, our fanaticism for the great game of football. Yes. Now, Mo, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, just just going back to the facilities. Just for me, from uh, obviously what I seen uh, in in Morocco, they got they got these um, cage football, like small five v five cage football mm-hmm. under lights um, everywhere, and it very much all the local kids just go and play five v fives that night. Why and, do they and have just, any oh, cage? They, they just put like like sort of keep, you know keep the ball from yeah, going yeah, so away. You don't lose the ball, so right. you, it's very much like indoor soccer, but it's just in an open yeah. space. Mm. Okay. Um, obviously, to you don't need to make you know big overs for kids to play. It's just small, and they just everywhere every summer we will have like multiple cages with astroturf, and and they just open to everyone. And the government's provided that. Yeah. So I think that's something maybe, you know, you, you could think about um, for kids because sometimes it's, you know, you maybe just four against four or, you know, five against five instead Fun. of 11 v 11, you know, in, in your neighbourhood. Um, and also the other thing I, w- I would say is like uh, with, with the World Cup, it's, it's more afterwards, you know, when it finishes. Yes, um, the legacy what, of it. Yeah, what, what happens because obviously the girls, the numbers will go higher 
And then do we have a plan for those girls? Is and it's more? right in the middle of our football season. It's uh, not abso- at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, what happens there? What, what sort of plan that we you, know, you got in place? Because otherwise you lose those girls. Like you, you get the, the World Cup, yep. you get the players, and then you don't yeah. have... And we've already registered for the season because that happens yeah. now. That the World Cup is yeah. in July, and then it's not until the next year that we need to register 100%. that interest. Mm. So I think yeah. that's something also that we need to look at and think about. No, no I think you've got to you've whacked the nail on the head, as they say. Uh, look, I think um, the the legacy issues are, uh, we need to be we need to be actually quite um, innovative. I think too because. The cages you mentioned, it's, it's very interesting. There was a phenomenon of these cages, similar to the ones you explained that are in Morocco, that um, uh, we do have in Western Australia. We have, I know, I remember there, there's a few dotted around the place. Um, and uh, they are, here's probably an opportunity to actually re, reignite the, uh, the uh, opportunities about, re, you know, about using those, uh, those existing ones. But look, I come back to this whole issue of how we plan for communities more broadly. We've got to plan our communities so that we maximise the green spaces, uh, uh, whether they're small or larger, in a better way that uh, means that uh, kids have access, they can get to them if they live in the neighbourhood, they can walk to them, ride to them. Um, they might be located, you know, adjacent to schools or adjacent to play play areas. They're accessible. They're not locked away behind a school fence. Let's just plan them better so that people can get access to them uh, and, and we know that when people are using these spaces and people are taking their dog for a walk and there's kids playing and whether it's a cage, uh, you know, the, the, the sporting cage or whether it's on a, on, a, on a park or a field, that that's good for the kids. It's good for the local community and they're doing positive stuff. You, you know, over, over and above, they're doing positive stuff. And uh, the legacy for, um, that, uh, for the FIFA World Cup is that I want any kid, any young girl or boy who's been exposed to the to the FIFA World Cup when it's here, that they we ignite a lifelong love of the game and a will and a want to participate and make sure that the uh, infrastructure, the opportunities in their neighbourhood are there for yeah. them to do that. Yeah. I think that's really important. Good one, Dave. I think we should finish there because that's a very good comment that we all agree with. Thank you so much for your time today and please do come back and have a chat to us before the Women's oh. World Cup actually lands. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, well, um, next, next time we talk, probably before the, the FIFA, I'll give you a really intensive update on all the things that are, uh, uh, that are uh, either happening or about to happen. Good one. Thanks, Dave. Good Enjoy your weekend. <laughs> See ya. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye. Bye. Dave Templeman, the WA Sports Minister, is bringing us up to date with things. Not not to sort of hark back again to Ted Lasso, but the thing with the cages, <laughs> if you've seen season two, they actually do have a scene where Isaac, um, the team captain, does a five-on-five five in the oh, cages at that. night. Yeah, yeah, so that's 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 at least what I've got in my head when you talk about that's the cages. England. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, and a big hi to Dave Kindness. Dave's listening in. Good one, Dave. Yeah, cages. I, I think of cages as uh, fighting cages. Yeah. <laughs> I do. So I'm going to have to change my thinking about that. Right? And, uh, and also out of interest, um, just while we're talking about playing it at night, it, it sort of dawned on me down the road from, from my house, uh, there's a park with a half-court basketball um, you know, hoop on it uh, with a motion-sensitive light on it. So you can walk past there at night. As soon as you step on the court, it all lights up for you. Nice. I've never seen anyone playing basketball there at night, Is unfortunately. Is that because you have to go through lots of dark alleys? No, no, no. It's the in the middle of a park. But <laughs> okay. um, so I'm, I'm normally walking the dog there at that time. But, yeah, as soon as you get to the basketball court, it all lights up for you. and So it, it's doable. Yeah, okay. Definitely. I That's the first I've heard of one. 
mm. in the Perth yeah. area. Yeah, we're going to go to a break and come back and chat more football, of course, with um, Neil Bennett. And that'll be lots of women's football. Still plenty to talk about. This is uh, Penn and Pete and Mo on the World Football Program. Stay tuned. The top station on your radio dial, Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. Oswest Fencing and Raw Iron is a fourth-generation family business. Ring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Raw Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Greatness is all around us. On pitches, fields, and playgrounds. At home and far away. It lives in the past. And it's in the faces we look up to. And in those we see every day. Greatness is all around us. It takes us beyond limitations, beyond possibility. Beyond doubt. Beyond expectations. The only question is, where will it take us next? Welcome back to the World Football Program, Pen, Pete and Mo in the studio. And before we zip across to our next guest, Neil Bennett, we must talk about the Perth Glory game tonight. So, yeah, Perth Glory playing Central Coast tonight. Uh, Central Coast sitting second on the ladder. Uh, Perth Glory down at ninth, unfortunately, but hopefully a win can boost us up there. We are talking men's. Men, men's at the moment, yeah. Sorry. So, And I believe that's the last men's game at Macedonia Park, so if you haven't been down there... Oh, we didn't ask that of Dave, and when he said that they're having the FIFA review of the HBF Park in a couple of weeks' time, one assumes that that gets the all-go, and then Glory play their games there. Well, I noticed the Western Force fixtures are out, and they're all playing at HBF Park, so I, there should when? be no reason um, when the, the, what's the name, the rugby season starts which is in the next month or so, I believe. Okay, so they're planning for everything to be be, as it should be. So as it turns out, it was only Perth Glory that's been inconvenienced by by the move, as usual. Mm. Um, Okay, so anyway, yeah, Central Coast Mariners sitting second on the table, and interestingly, they haven't beaten the Glory in the last four games. So it's, it's, as a Glory fan, it feels a bit unusual to have the wood over another team, but um, yeah, in the last four games, it's three draws, and last time Perth Glory's only away win of the season was a 2-1 win 
over Central Coast. So back 2021, you've got to go to find the last time that Central Coast beat us. And now that I've said that, I've, I've jinxed us. And it's going to be 7 It's going to be 7 nil to Central Coast now. <laughs> Any and every, on that everyone note? can blame me for that. <laughs> Gosh, I, I feel like we've, ba- we've bagged a couple, but we've, <laughs> we're kind of getting used to Glory being in a different space at the moment. Mm. Um, men's team, uh, definitely sailing okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of warming to how things are going. I was a bit not sure at the start, but yeah. you know, things are going okay. Oh, I think there's been a lot of caution with how Glory have gone over the past couple of seasons. And yeah, let's move across to the women's side of things with our guest online, Neil Bennett. Good morning, Neil. Good morning, Pan. How are you? Yeah, super good. And uh, in terms of where the Glory women are sitting on the table, they're sitting seventh out of the 11th. Yeah. So around about. Mid-ish, can well, I say mid-ish? The same number of wins as losses, so, you know. Mm. How do you feel about that, Neil? Is that justified? Um, yeah, I think they've run into some good form over the last couple of weeks. Um, prior to that, um, there was a very ordinary start to the season. Um, mm. And the way they, they were playing, especially at home, wasn't particularly good, I didn't think... Uh, even the game against Wellington, when they, you know, they're playing the team that's bottom of the ladder, they're at home, they're two nil up at half time against the side who, at that point, had only scored three goals all season. They had the win behind them, and then they just, for whatever reason, uh, just decided to sit and and defend rather than really going for the jugular. But yeah, I think they have turned it around. Um, it remains to be seen whether they can get into the finals. They've got a very very tough schedule. Um, and it's interesting to hear, you know, that uh, the, the men have got their last game at Macedonia Park uh, before they move back to HBF Park. Um, the women have got three more games uh, at Massey, including a home game on the 26th of March when HBF Park will be available. Mm. And yet they won't be playing there um, because, according to uh, sources within the club, it's too expensive. Yes. Um, and yet all the refurbishments are being done for the Women's World Cup to be played by women, and yet not one single women's team <laughs> will have been played there. When we say it like that, yeah. that sound, doesn't sound so great. However... I, yeah, I was actually thinking, well, it kind of makes sense if Macedonia... <laughs> and then as you said that, I was like, oh, the way you've worded that, no, I've got to agree with you. Very compelling. <laughs> we should have linked you up with Dave Templeman. <laughs> 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 However, the, the reality is Macedonia is a very boutique stadium and we don't fill it with crowds for the women's games we'd like to and if we did they would probably be banging on the drum for someone to say well maybe we should try HBF Park mm. yeah, but I still think that, that argument falls down because if you build it they will come I mean when you look at the games that have been played in the in the A-League the Liberty A-League that have been played at major stadiums around the, around the country they're not full but they're being played there so uh, Glory haven't had a game at, their, at the premier stadium in the league for the women since 2018 and I, I just don't think that that's good enough uh, I think that there should be more done for the women to be playing there and the fact that they've now signed up for Macedonia to be their home ground for the next three years and mm. with no disrespect to Sterling Macedonia they don't have a women's team so why is it that they're hosting the premier women's team in the state at a ground that doesn't have women's games at it. It, it. it doesn't really make much sense to well, me. I can throw a theory into that because it's really hard to get grounds outside of NPL. If we think of the Men's Night Series, for example, the grounds are secured there 
pretty quickly, I would think, because of the facilities they've got. They want to hold... Uh, they've got capacity, they've got resources, canteens, etc. Once you go down to the next tier of football, we're moving more into public spaces and women's football doesn't have the hold yet in the community with numbers and resources, etc. that its counterparts do. So we've still got some work to do, Neil. Yeah, I know, but I think that that, that argument has been... It shouldn't be held any longer because you've got to encourage the crowds to go. And when we're talking about the night series, for example, the uh, the NPLW kicks off this weekend. Some of the games are being played at Ellenbrook Sports Hub, yes, and some are being played at E&D Leiter Stadium. Yes, there is a there is a ground in Perth that is going to be hosting Sweden in the World Cup for a training venue. Mm. Why are there no games being played for the women? at that ground, mm. at Kingsway Olympic. Why is that not happening? Um, and again, it, it's a case of there are clubs out there that have no women's teams at all uh, in the NPL, and here we are in the World Cup year 2023, and we're basically holding the begging bowl out for women's football to say, oh, please, can we play NPL grounds? Or please, can we play uh, HBF? And I just don't think that that attitude should be the way that we push the game forward. I feel uh, like in, I've just had my backside slapped. <laughs> <laughs> but I also but think it, I also think the cancers get a lot to play because obviously the clubs can only obviously host a tournament or you know like a night series if, if the council wants them obviously to play there. And if for example for Queensway if the council says no because we got the women's World Cup, you know, a team is gonna try in there, we don't want the the pitch to be damaged then obviously it's not going to happen. So there's a lot of other Lots things. Lots of different balancing in, yeah. factors. Yep. No, no, well, we'd have to agree to disagree with that because I don't think the councils have got too much say in it at all because um, the experience of Wanneroo are hosting a night series uh, for the men. So the number of games that are going to be played at Kingsway Olympic would be a maximum of four, maybe five. And yet, as I said, they're, they're now going to be hosting a women's world cup so what better advert for the women's game than to say okay well we'll we'll play them there the lights are fantastic the facilities are really really good it's no disrespect to ellenbrook but um you've got teams from Fremantle that are having to travel all the way up mm. into ellenbrook that's, to that's play crazy. their games there yeah. you know and and E&D Lytus is another stadium you know it's great that the that the night series has been played there but the facilities at E&D are in desperate need of an upgrade. And yes. I think there's a broader issue across all of the grounds. It's just how much investment is going into them. And even the state football centre is not going to be used by Perth Glory for A-League games. Mm. So what, what's going on with that? And it's a $30 million hub, and yet we're not going to be able to have our Premier. It would have been ideal, wouldn't it? I mean, it's a 5,000-seater, I think, yes. uh, to have to have Perth Glory women playing their games there. But that's yeah. not going to happen. And it, it, it just, I don't know, it, it's, it's very Neil, strange. Neil, stop not asking just us questions. WA. We don't have the answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's, let's start with Cup of Nations. Matilda's been playing mm. this week. Your thoughts on how they went and are we moving in the right direction? Um, I think the first half performance left a lot to be desired, but um, obviously they turned it around in the second half. And it's got to be remembered that 
Czechia have had some very good results against top nations. They've drawn a couple of games. I think they drew against the English uh, not too long ago, so they were tough nut to crack. Um, so the, the second half performance was very, very encouraging. Um, and I think having this tournament with a team selected to try and replicate the signs that Australia are going to play in their qualifying groups is has been a smart move. So Czechia were there to sort of replicate perhaps the Canadian style of play. I'm not sure. Um, but the next game up against the Spanish will be a real test. Yes. Um, because they're a very, very good side. And then you've got the sort of almost see-it-the-pants way of playing for, for the Jamaicans who play a very exuberant style of football. Um, and it could be real end-to-end stuff. So three completely different styles of football in a very short period of time, which is exactly what the Matildas are going to have to face in the World Cup. So I think it's a smart move by Football Australia to, to bring these teams over. Mm-hmm. I thought in the second half, the players that were put on change their style of the game, which I really liked. Um, mm-hmm. Van Egmond, I haven't seen play for such a long time. And I must admit, she's very. I find her to be a very inconsistent player, very talented, but doesn't apply that talent in a consistent way that benefits the Matildas. But when she came on with Chidiak and I think um, Claire... Claire Wheeler. Thank you. Uh, was mm. the full-back? Did she play full-back? Uh, she played centre-back, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and someone else came on to and I can't remember who that was. But that, that changed the dynamic of the team. They started to connect more passes together and gave an energy that I thought made us more attacking. And we didn't concede goals. Yeehaw! Which was great. Yeah, that... Yeah, very good. Although, if you to read the press comments that are coming out um, in the post-match interviews with Gustafsson, uh, I think perhaps the half-time team talk from Sam Kerr gave him a bit of a riot uh, <laughs> rev-up as well. So maybe there was something going on there in the changing rooms. I don't know. But yes, you're right. Um, uh, a cagey opening, and, but a very, very good finish. And Hayley Razza um, is an absolute bundle of energy at the moment. Oh, yes. And Ooh. Steph Catley as well, uh, the way that she's been playing at Arsenal this season and she's showing her true colours as well. Yep. And with Caitlin Ford on form as well. Um, and Ellie Carpenter's is playing there. again. Yes. Yes, she's coming back. Although I, yes. I do I do have some caution about that because to expect her to be thrust into a full World Cup schedule so soon, there's always that risk of secondary issues uh, from, from the rehabs coming up. So let's be a little bit cautious about Ellie. But yeah, that's great news that she's back. Yes, and Junior Matildas are in camp and the mm. West Australians with Ruby, Ishia and Jess being selected. I think yep. that was just a three, which is great. Yeah. Um, little plug for Ruby Cuthbert, who's from Mum FC, so I have to slip that in, of course. And Nicola uh-huh. Williams and Spence Pryor are coaching the Papua New Guinea national <laughs> team. Which I, I didn't expect that. That was um, So Nicola Williams was our inaugural Perth Glory coach and I think... She played in the Western Waves as well the year. She did, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was uh, she was a very good player. She played over 200 games in Northern Redbacks as well. Um, and once she left her playing career, um, as you mentioned, the inaugural coach for Perth Glory, um, also went on to be uh, the assistant coach for the national team at Trinidad and Tobago, uh, teaming up with Carolina Maracci, who she's married to. Um, Carolina was the coach of Canada uh, and a, a world-renowned player for Italy as well. Yes. Uh, and then the pair of them went to AC Milan and set up the, uh, the women's uh, side there before moving across to Lazio and getting them up into um, Serie A from there. So Nicola's done fantastically well. She also had a spell at, at Leicester City earlier this season about uh, eight weeks or something like that before she was unfortunately along with the, the head coach they were shown the door and that hasn't, you know, been, been a great move for Leicester because they're not exactly setting the world on fire. But 
I think in terms of coaches that WA's produced, he's got to be right up there, men and women, is one of the best that we've had. And with all of the qualifications now, it can only surely be a matter of time before she's the head coach of a major team somewhere in the world and hopefully involved in the Australian system as well. Yes, yes, you would think so. And uh, you did mention that the night series is starting uh, next week or Sunday? Uh, this weekend. Sunday. Uh, this weekend. We, we discussed this. Tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, the games kick off tonight with uh, Group B playing at the at the hub at Ellenbrook, as we mentioned, mm-hmm. and then uh, the Group A games kick off tomorrow evening at uh, E&D Lighters. Yes, and then a couple Dope. of weeks after that, the Women's League, which is in the restructure of the women's competition, it's going to go NPL, then 21s, and then the I think it's the Amateur and State League from last year becomes the Women's League, and then Metro beneath that, so it's simplified. So it'll be... The Women's League night series starting in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's a little bit more complex because there's actually going to be a grading process. So we do have a Women's League, which, as you mentioned, would be basically the State League teams from last year. Um, And then there's going to be a Central League, and then there's going to be North and South Leagues. And the Central Mm League is going to have one and two, and then the North and South will have three leagues, I believe. So there will be grading to work out who's going to be in those two various, in all those various divisions, and it looks as if um, there's about seven rounds of that. So hopefully we will avoid what is commonplace at the moment, where teams play for a couple of weeks in a competition, find they're getting either thrashed or beaten too many teams too easily, and and, and request a move. So mm. this should make football West fixturing a little less of a nightmare for them in this uh, in this season. Hopefully, many years ago when women's soccer WA was at Gibney Reserve, which was women's football home ground. We used to have a pre-season competition. It started off as the Lou Ricky many, many decades ago. And then when we got the home ground at uh, Gibney Reserve in Maylands, we had a pre-season competition, and that was a grading competition. So teams would, like the men's night series, you kind of get movements and things, find out where you're at. So... They did that over, I think it was a weekend or maybe two weekends, I can't remember, and that helped the association put teams into the appropriate leagues. Mm. Yes. Yeah, well, the last yeah. thing you want is promotion and relegation happening during the season. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, or and, a big and difference in the teams. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that's maybe something that could be done with the juniors as well because the movement up and down within the junior leagues, both uh, male and female, is, is quite marked and uh, it's, it's awful for a team that starts off with high ambitions and then just finds that they've been put in a league that's far too strong for them. Their mm. confidence can get destroyed. So, But it does make it very, very difficult because what do you do with the points that have been accrued and the goals and all those sorts of things? It's it's really hard. Yes. They, they do do it with the MPL teams. So you, you oh, yeah. we normally yeah. play first seven games and then they they didn't get the top teams into it, one group. Junior MPL? Yep. Yeah. yeah, so they do. Yeah, I, I think that's a, it's a really good thing, and I think that that may be something that uh, needs to be looked at um, into the girls' uh, competitions, into the junior girls as well, because there's quite a few discrepancies go on with teams moving up and down after three or four games into the season, and it really makes life very complicated. So, Mo, you're saying that in the junior boys' NPL, yep. they have the first seven rounds of the competition yep. as a grading, and yep. then after that, they finish they, in their league. Yeah, then they So split. they go to the dedicated league. Yeah. yeah, so they give you that seven games. So you play one team in, in your group once and very much afterwards 
uh, the teams that finish on the top half will go into a different group and in the bottom half will go into other groups. Yep. So that way it's a little bit more balanced. Gotcha. That sounds like a great idea. Yep. Mm. And Masters League, Neil. The Football West are trying to get an over-35 Women's Masters League in. They've been trying for a few years now. Mm. Yeah, I think it's great, um, you know, to encourage women to stay in the game for as long as possible. But going hand-in-hand with that, you've then got to have facilities where it's still unfortunate, but with with women who who have families, then their husbands are probably not going to be the ones that come along and support them the way that the women go along and support the husbands in the Masters League for the men. So (laughs) facilities for for women, for their children, uh, that they want to take along to the games, um, I think... You know, is is another step that we've got to look at if we're going to make this game all inclusive and, and for everybody. But it's brilliant that we've got the facility then for players who who get in towards the later years of their playing careers to have a competition where they're not running around against 15, 16 year old girls. You know, and you can see that in the Metro Comp. Um, you know, ladies who have hitting their forties going into their late forties even, and fair play to them. It's brilliant to see them out there, but. When they're up against these young whippersnippers running around, it's, it's it's very difficult for them. And I think to have their own dedicated league is for them. I think it's it's a great move by Football West. Or you could just go further back in the field and play in goals. That works for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is that. Yeah. 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 You're right, though. You brought up a really good point then about mums or females coming along with their families and how mm. that dynamic is simply different when a male goes to play his football mm. yes yeah mm. yeah the the, the, the women are, are there to look after the kids or you know uh, or the, a single i used to play masters and you'd see guys would bring along and I, I did this you'd bring your kids along but then there would be a couple of wives would be sitting there and the next thing you know they've got about 12 kids to look after because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the blokes are out there running around for 90 minutes so it's not really fair. <laughs> Need a cage nearby, don't they, Mum? Yeah. <laughs> well, for some of the kids they did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, the, the other thing that we need to have a chat about is the FIFA Women's Player of the Year Awards. And uh, does anybody know when this award is being held? It just escapes me at what time of year it is, but I just keep thinking it's around Christmas time, but maybe it's not. There's 14 nominations uh, on the table at the moment. Yeah, and it's always a tricky one because you don't know. Uh, I believe it's the coaches that put the nominations up. And, no. Um, no, no, no. It's, oh, right, it, okay. it, it's uh, 25% media, 25% captains of national teams, 25% uh, fans, and what would the other 25% be? I forget what it was. Simon Hill was talking about it on his uh, podcast and because he, he's one of the media guys. Why are you giving right. me that look, Peter? Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm on a site listing the, the nominations and everything, and there's, there's the nomination Best Player Women, another one for nom- uh, Best Player Men, Best Trainer Women, Best Trainer Men. That's all fine. And then there's a, I don't know if this is a translation error or something, it's The Best Archer. And I don't understand what an archer is in oh, footballing I don't terms. Know. Then there's best goalkeeper and Puskas Award. So, just in the middle of it, someone's an archer. And um, okay, no, we don't. It's only women in there, so there, I don't know what the, what that is. But yeah, so that's that's why I was pulling a face. And I was trying to figure out what the. Yeah, I've been. I've become a little bit confused with the change of the awards that FIFA have: Ballon d'Or and mm-hmm. Best and so forth. So, 
yeah, I don't know what time of year they are and I kind of lose it a little bit because there's 24-7 with football now, so there's just so much happening all the time. Yeah, yeah, you sort of lose track and there's so many awards going around as well. Um, You don't know who's getting what. So I always used to think that the Ballon d'Or was the pinnacle. and uh, Yes. Now we're getting these FIFA World Players of the Year. I I really don't know, so... uh, I couldn't. I couldn't comment. Um, I think, you know, obviously it's great. I think Ellie Carpenter's in there and Sam Kerr in yes. there as nominees. Um, obviously, Sam. You know, we all know how good she is and, and everything. And the fact that she hasn't won a, an individual world award is uh, something of an anomaly. But I'm sure, come the end of this World Cup campaign, that will have all changed because she'll be lifting the World Cup for Australia. Do you, do you think confident? And it'll become Sam Kerr's World Cup, like it was Lionel Messi's World Cup with like the West he Australian. Won the World Cup, so she won the with World the Cup. West Australian media. It'll be ex ex Eagles player player's <laughs> sister won the World Cup. No, it won't. The West Australian media, it will. Oh, no, hey, <laughs> sorry, though, Ben the... Smith. We'll get him on and we'll good. educate him. All right, good. Yeah. yeah. No, no, Ben. Ben wouldn't allow that to happen. I don't think. <laughs> No, he definitely would not. I think we've covered just about everything. What do you reckon, Neil? Um, yeah, I just think um, a bit of a bit of a shout out to the teams that are starting off um, this weekend because that pre-season for many of them there was only a short break for about a month mm. after the end of the season, and, and they're going on. So there's there's a lot of new players in the league. Um, you know, junior players or not junior players, but players from under twenty one squads being promoted up. It's good opportunity for the coaches of the various clubs to have a look at that there's a lot of new coaches around as well um we finally got another uh, female coach with Faye Chambers at uh, Fremantle um and then coaches although a returning coach but a new coach nonetheless Tim Cash uh, at um at Balcata there's uh, mum have got a new coach and then there's a new coach at um at Curtin as well so it's going to be interesting for those new ones to see how they go that's and Alan Armstrong, isn't it? At no, Clinton. it's not. No, no. He's gone already. Okay. It's Har- it's, it's a guy called Harry. Um, and he, um, I, I was chatting with him uh, earlier this week. Um, so he came on board at the beginning of February. Um, and Curtin have got a very, very difficult task ahead of them because they have got basically a completely new squad um, with so many of their players having left. Um, so it's going to be very, very hard for them, and they've had very little time to get to know each other. So this is going to be a, tr- a very difficult night series for them. So you've said a few times in the conversation that there's been a turnover of squads, and I remember the first two years of the NPL, how Mum FC had a very strong squad, and then the following mm. year it was decimated. Players mm. had left West Australia to go to the Eastern States League. Is that what you're seeing is happening no, not no, not to a huge extent. I mean, Ellie Lamont went to Tasmania. She's returned. She's back at Perth. Um, Baxter Few went to Eastern States. She hasn't come back. Um, obviously, a big name is Larry Walsh going over there. Yep. Caitlin Douglas has gone over there as well. But we've also got the likes of, and you've mentioned them at the top of the show, Iskia Brooking and, and Ruby coming into the league. So two very, very exciting players coming into the league from the end of 15. NTC squad. There's some uh, players coming back from long-term injuries. Tia Stonehill's coming back from a long-term injury. Um, you're seeing um, Kim McCartney coming back from a long-term injury. So there is quality coming back. And WA has always had this. I mean, if you go all the way back uh, to the, the days of Lisa Devanna 
and Colette McCallum. They moved over east, and players move over east. We know that. Western Australia, in the men's and in the women's competition, is not as strong as the, as the competition in the eastern states, in, in Sydney in particular, and New South Wales. But that doesn't mean that we're seeing a weakening of the, tour, of the, of the competition. I think what we're seeing in our under-21s is that players that are coming up through now the Football West SAP program set up three or four years ago are much more technically gifted than they were four or five years ago. So going through the junior ranks at Perth Red Star, we've noticed this, that players are much more technically competent than they were some time ago. And I think that's where things are happening in this in the space, is the younger players coming in. And if the NPL clubs were to do, or should do, what they're supposed to be doing, which is to be bringing these young kids up, then, you know, the, the future's looking bright. So I don't think that there's a real issue with us seeing a league weakening because players are going over east. That always happens. Um, but as I said, we've, we've got these really strong players coming back into the into the comp as well. And uh, I think it'll be a really, really good season this one. Congratulations to Zara Board, formerly mm. of Mum FC, then huh. Subiaco and Junior Matildas and landing at Perth Glory. Well done, Zara. Yeah, she, yeah, she, had, uh, she had a run on the bench last weekend. Um, she moved from Subi to, to Red Star. Um, at the end of the season and uh, she's also got a, a gig in college football uh, so she's doing really really well um, Shivani Battaglia did exactly the same sort of route so goalkeeping stocks in WA are really high yes. um, you know we've got some great goalkeepers um, in the league and um, coming up through and the fact that we've had a junior Matilda and a young Matilda now at the uh, from WA speaks volumes for the way that the goalkeeper training is going as well and you did mention Tia Stonehill. Did you say that she was coming back into play this year? Yep, she's at Balcatta for this season. Um, so her and Kim McCartney joining along to, to bolster uh, Tim's thing. Gemma Crane, uh, by all accounts, is coming back Good. after a year after a year out of the game uh, with injury issues as well. So she's playing at Perth. Perth looking very strong. Poppy Hooks has gone there uh, from Mum uh, to join up with Pete Rackage. Um, and as I said, Ellie Lamont has come back from Tasmania and she's at Perth as well. So Perth will have a very, very strong squad uh, this season. Um, Red Star, they've had uh, some losses with uh, Sean Billen becoming a, a coach and then Larry Walsh going over east and then unfortunately Carla Bennett um, did her ACL just two weeks ago, so she'll be out for the season. Um, so, But that gives opportunities to, to newer, younger players and there's some good... Good kids coming through um, from the under twenty ones at, uh, at Red Star to, to give Carlos, you know, another strong squad for them because they've still got the likes of Sarah Carroll playing there, Emily Dunn, uh, they're still back, and then Zara Borders, as, as I mentioned, has come on to the team as well. And I assume when the A League Women's finishes, there will be some players that will go back into Red Stars. There, there were there was only Kim Carroll, um, and then you've got Sadie Lawrence as well, and. Uh, also Tash Rigby but the interesting thing with those returning players is just how long the season will be next year for the A-League um, hearing that it could well be starting in September because they've got another team coming in Central Coast Mariners mm. uh, to make it a full home in a way so it could be that those uh, contracted players won't be getting much time in the NPL I think we're, we're moving very very rapidly towards NPL players and A-League players and A-League players do not come down into NPL anymore yeah. uh, as is the case with the men so 
it, it, the, the onus really is now on the NPL clubs to, to develop players to replace those A-League players as they as they move into almost a full-time professional Absolutely. Neil, we're going to talk about that next time you come on. <laughs> okay. Enjoy the rest of your holiday down in Margaret River. Thank you for joining oh, us. Oh, will do. Yeah, not a problem at all. Thanks for having me on, as always. Good on you. See you next time. Thanks very much indeed. Yeah, take care. Cheers. Bye. That was Neil Bennett's women's match reporter. Doesn't work for Beyond 90 and was the weatherman at the ABC. <laughs> Making his own space in women's football now and I'm sure he'll land somewhere at the Women's World Cup. Time to end our program for this week. Uh, Len and Bags groove and the jazz music is up next mo thank you for joining us really do appreciate it thank you pete as always thank you very much the team will be back next week a different assortment but talking football for another two hours from the same time see you later everyone enjoy your weekend